Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss and reflect on faith and philosophy, leadership and social issues. We want to engage in ideas and what it means to be a free human being in the pursuit of human flourishing. For more information, please visit our website, philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Same room, and uh, we'll, so we'll be going for from there. So, uh, as a reminder, when we have our guests in class, our job is to uh, listen and be curious. Uh, we're welcoming uh, our guest into our class like we would welcome him into our home, and uh, trying to understand, listen to, and appreciate his story. Um, we'll have a chance to reflect on it together a little bit on Wednesday, and so we'll have a, an opportunity to kind of think about, well, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, uh, as we go. So our guest today is Dr. Philip Fletcher, who uh, is one, I I was commenting on the way over uh, from my office that he teaches a a leadership class at Philander Smith, where he teaches people how to manage time, Um, and I I would like to take a time management class from him, because he gets more done uh, than just about anybody that I know. Um, the way that I got to know uh, Dr. Fletcher is as the founder and the executive director of City of Hope Outreach, COHO, uh, here in Conway. Um, I'll let him tell you more about COHO, but essentially what he's trying to do is to empower people um, in uh, sort of, uh, who are in difficult situations in life to take charge of, their, uh, charge of their future and to organize the community on behalf of um, community uplift. So it's a, a really interesting project that he's got going on. We've had a number of students do internships and volunteer hours over there, so if you get interested in Dr. Fletcher or in Coho, talk to him or talk to me about how you might be able to get involved. Um, He's also, in 2017, was appointed to the City of Conway's uh, Homeless Task Force, uh, trying to figure out uh, how the City of Conway can best serve the needs of people who are living homelessly in Conway. He helped to launch the UCA Coho Poverty Studies Group, uh, which does research and experiential learning uh, related to poverty in the state of Arkansas. In 2021, he was named one of Arkansas's top professionals by Arkansas Money and Politics. Um, he holds a BA uh, in Ethnic Studies from the University of California, Riverside, an MA in Theology and Christian Apologetics from Liberty University, and a doctorate in Organizational Leadership from Regent University. Um, super interesting, so I hope you will uh, engage and uh, Learn as much as you can from Dr. Fletcher while he's here. Let's welcome. How y'all doing today? Good. This large, large class. All right, so a little bit about myself and who I am and how I arrived here uh, in Arkansas and then my understanding of our origins as human beings and then... Uh, what I've drawn from that and how it relates to our work at the City of Hope Outreach. Sound good? All right, so uh, just one thing, I'm like an interactive type person, all right? So talk back to me. It's okay, all right? I give opportunity for uh, individuals to ask questions because I just think everybody got questions. So what are your questions? Not if you have questions. Everybody got a question, all right? Um, 
and then we'll go from there. Have a good time. Sound good? good. All right. What? How much time I got till? You got till noon. Noon. I mean one o'clock. One o'clock. That's right. Time has changed. That's right. All right. So um, Philip Fletcher, uh, born in Louisville, Kentucky, moved to California, Southern California, when I was ten. My mother and father and my younger sister uh, grew up there. Uh, they moved back to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I stayed in California where I got my uh, bachelor's in ethnic studies from UC Riverside. Met my wife, Nicole, there. Uh, we got married in 1997, and we'll be celebrating 25 years this coming December. Uh, from that marriage, we have three children. Uh, Nicholas, who is about to be 24, uh, he lives back in California now. Uh, we have a daughter, Najee. Uh, she lives here in Conway. She is a photographer and manages a coffee shop here in town. And then our youngest, Nichelle, she lives in Fayetteville. She goes to U of A. Uh, she's a junior and she's majoring in uh, marketing. And so they're all out the house now. Uh, we arrived here by way of the military. Uh, military family, I was uh, a combat arms officer. Uh, started out as enlisted and then got my commission, uh, OCS. Uh, spent my time, as I try to help explain to people, uh, helping soldiers uh, conduct war. And then when I got my uh, commission, uh, led soldiers to conduct war. And uh, spent 13 months on the DMZ looking at North Korea. And then... Uh, when I was tired of being overseas for too long, after many times, I uh, talked to this guy who was called our branch manager, and I said, hey, I want to come home and spend time at home. So we ended back up in California at what's called the National Training Center at Fort Irwin, Death Valley, Mojave Desert, all of that stuff. You could see Vegas on a clear night, two hours away from me. Right? Uh, got there, and then we got deployed to Iraq. OIF-3, and uh, so that was still at the height of the war, and spent another uh, long period of time there, and saw all manner of things. Uh, my first exposure, if you will, to poverty, we'll get back there, because I grew up middle class, pretty protected, all right? Live in America, two-parent household, pretty normal family life. <clears throat> then uh, living in Korea along the DMZ, living in Iraq in the Middle East, saw poverty in real terms, and then combine that with war, saw really the the other side of humanity. But nonetheless, came back and decided that I wanted to be a chaplain after I became a captain. Uh, in the Army, and so I applied, got accepted, and we moved here to Arkansas. We was only supposed to be here for two years, and God has got a different plan, all right? And we're here ever since. So that was from 2007 when we landed here, April 4th, 2007, and we've been here ever since. Uh, my son has managed to leave. My daughter looks like she's leaving. They're all trying to leave. We're still here. Hey, whatever. It is what it is. But we got a calling, we got a purpose to being here. So uh, I explained to people there was a time in my life where 
the reality was I was an individual who brought death. And now I'm an individual who brings hope. So, human origins. How I understand it. I am, uh, my parents, I'm a, my religious journey has been uh, pretty interesting. Uh, my parents are Anglican, uh, and that's how I grew up, uh, understanding uh, the Church of England and its expression here in America being an Anglican church. Um, went to All Saints Episcopal Church growing up, uh, St. Albans Episcopal Church growing up. Uh, and so I had an understanding of kind of high church type expression. Uh, when I went to the sixth grade, my parents were not satisfied with the public education system in California. And so they dropped the dollars and they sent us to Catholic school. So on Sundays, I was in an Episcopal church. Throughout the week, I was in a Catholic school. Right? Now, you're not familiar, Anglicanism and their worship and the Mass are not that dissimilar, right? So everything pretty much made sense to me, with the exception of uh, when we went to Mass during school, because everybody had to go to Mass each grade, I couldn't participate in the communion, the Lord's Supper, the table, uh, and that because I was not a Catholic, all right? All right, that's cool, whatever. Um, Growing up, when I got into college, I made a beeline out the door for faith, from faith. Somebody knows what I'm talking about, right? Grew up, parents, faith, religion, understood it, understand the creed, understand the practices, understand all that. But when I got freshman year in college, fraternity, girls, girls, fraternity, and school was in there somewhere. All right? I'm just being honest. All right? Just being honest. All this is making who I am and what feeds into what we do. So for the next essentially four years, I lived like a straight-up heathen. Like for real. Like for real. Until I was in the commons, lunch, and I saw this cheerleader walk by. And this cheerleader was hot. And I said, man, and I said, hello, and she ignored me, kept on walking, all right? I would see her at the basketball games and all that kind of stuff. Eventually, when I talked to her, she tried to, like, evangelize me and, like, do you know Jesus, and are you saved, and, you know, the typical spiel. I was like, no, do you want to go out, though? And, you know, she was like, well, no. My mom's a minister, and my dad's a minister, and... You know, I'm going to marry a minister and so on and so forth. I was like, well, I'm none of those things, right? But I was like, I'm going to date this girl. So I tried to keep dating her. They put on, they organized this uh, choir club, okay, uh, on campus. And so my fraternity, you know, we would invite the choir to come sing at our events. And I figured, hey, that's some time I could spend more time with, right? Eventually, I just followed her up into the church. Right now, I grew up Episcopal, Anglican, Catholic. The church was Pentecostal, Church of God in Christ. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Charles H. Mason, all right, largest Pentecostal church for African Americans. Right, so I followed her up into the church. 
all this shouting and people falling out. Anybody familiar? Right? Slaying spirit, people talking in different ways. And I'm like, what is going on? I just know I'm trying to follow that girl right there. Right? <laughs> but eventually what was happening was I was going to the Bible studies on Wednesday nights when she wasn't going. And then April 1996, uh, Pastor Art Wooten of Friendship Christian Fellowship Church, Church of God in Christ. Right? He was preaching a sermon called it's Resurrection Day, <clears throat> sitting in the third row, seventh seat, and I gave my life to Christ. Remember like it was yesterday. And uh, it became my own personal faith at that point. It wasn't about my parents. It wasn't about Nicole Fletcher, whom I eventually married. And we're together 25 years later, that cheerleader, right? So she got her saved man. She got her preacher because I eventually became a youth pastor and got licensed and all that, right? Uh, but it became my own, all right? It wasn't my parents'. Uh, and then from there, got involved with helping uh, young people, high schoolers, and ministry, and then we joined the military, helped out with chaplains when I had the time, uh, and then we landed here, as I said. So in the beginning, since God created the heaven and the earth. And one of the most beautiful passages is that when God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. Let us. That's beautiful. He makes man and woman. And God enters into this agreement, if you will, with humanity. I like N.T. Wright. He describes it as we will be his vice regents of working with God in cultivating this creation. But that we would also do it in partnership with one another. I like it because he says, let us make man and woman in our image and likeness. And so drawing from that love, creativity, intelligence, rationality, freedom to choose, to act, to achieve a purpose. And so as that plays out in Genesis 1 and restated in Genesis uh, chapter 2, we see this dynamic of humanity working with God to do something in this, this creation, this, this what was brought out of chaos and moving it towards Order. Beautiful poetry. Some has described it as. So when we got here to Arkansas in 2007, I didn't have a job. We was living off of our savings. And I was a step. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? I know I'm supposed to do the seminary. I'm supposed to go to chaplaincy. And I found myself downtown where City Hall is, Mike's place is, Chris Allen stays, on that corner right there. And from 12 to 1, I would street preach. And I had one message. God loves. 
And I'll do that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the summer of 2007. And then when I got a job in Little Rock, I was coming home, decided to take a different route home. Instead of going down Dave Ward, I went down Hark Rider. God spoke to me. I'm still coming to the costume. Make a ride on Robbins. And back there is a trailer park. And back there is this trailer park. I'm supposed to go back there and do ministry. So I went home, told my wife. She was like, oh, no. Now, remember, my wife grew up like black Baptist, Pentecostal, big hats, nice dress. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like Sunday's an event. Right? You want me to go out to a trailer park? <coughs> and that's what church is supposed to be? So eventually... September 30th, 2007, we go out there. Me, my wife, our three kids, very little at the time. And we're out there, this trailer park, Oakland Village, known in the streets as Chateau Ghetto. It's on the other side of the tracks. It's where those people live. It's where that crime is over there. It's where prostitution is. Drug use is. It's those people. Physically, they look majority like y'all. My white brothers and sisters. Not black. Not Latino. They look like y'all. There was this man, this black man out here, who's doing what? Ministering to these others. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you out here? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I was going to be honest. So I got a sleeping bag and a tent, and I spent the whole weekend out there. Now, that was no thing to me. I've been in combat. Like, whatever, right? They're like, well, what are you doing? Right? One of the local drug dealers, Robert, he's riding by. He's like, what you doing, preaching? And I was like, I'm just going to spend the whole weekend out here. Right? And he's like, all right. So I got, I brought some cleaning supplies. I just went and knocked on doors. What's your name? Philip. My name is Philip. Can I just like, you need anything clean? Anything? You need any help? <laughs> What's your name? Andrew. Andrew? Philip. Do you need any help? Clean? Anything like that? So I was walking around knocking on trailers, seeking to make relationship with the other. Because one of the fundamental things I understand and that I draw from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in our human origin is that every one of us, regardless of what we look like physically, regardless of what we own, regardless of what we have, we have been created in the image of God, and all of us possess dignity and worth. If you don't remember nothing else that you type in, if you don't remember anything else that I'm saying today, that is the fundamental truth that runs everything that I do talk about and lead at the City of Hope Outreach. And that every individual is welcome at the table to participate in that. I want you on the board. I want you on the staff. I want you employed. If you're homeless, you can work here. 
If you're rich, you can be on the board. If you're homeless, you can be on the board. It doesn't matter. If you're wrestling with drugs, then I want you here. Because you have something of value to bring to the table. Why? Because you're made in the image and likeness of God. You have something to contribute. You can act freely in this. As Carol Botiva said, a.k.a. Pope John Paul II, in his idea of personalism. So, at the end of that weekend stay, Robert came back out around and he said, hey, preacher, you survived. I said, yeah. Wasn't so bad after all. I said, nope. Young boy, Andy, who had spent a Saturday night out there with me, he brought me a bologna and cheese sandwich, a Twinkie, and a Capri Sun. He said, you want to eat? And we sat out there and we talked about God, we talked about parents, we talked about hanging out. Ministry. Because you're not the other. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're related. Another personalist, Martin Luther King Jr., we're tied together in this inextricable web of mutuality. So our origins, one is grounded in this idea that we, as human beings, are made in the image and likeness of God. And the second thing is this, is that we're free beings who have the opportunity to use our wills to maximize that freedom for the benefit of ourselves, but also one another. Because again, we're participating together in order to bring order out of chaos. So as I got to understand this trailer park that I was called to and talked to other people around town, why are you over there? Police are always over there. It's dangerous. Is it safe for you to take your kids out there? Right? Got it. But then over time, other young people like you around 2010 started coming out. And then all these like, young people started coming out, Robert. And it was described as the church under the tree. TP church. To some religious people, the cult over there. Because their young people were leaving their church in the morning and then were coming over to that trailer park to have, like, they described it as real church. Because you have to imagine, we were just sitting out under a tree. You had people coming that had no shirt on, had no shoes on. You had people coming sitting out on their trucks, people bringing their dogs, chihuahuas, their cats. You had people coming from all different types of churches, from different economic backgrounds. And we just had guitars, and we were singing, people was praying. You need to be prayed for right now. We're going to wait for the altar call at the end. Let's just pray right now. We have some kind of message. Maybe three people will piece together a whole sermon together, and then we'll just keep on rolling.
everybody had something to bring to the table. They had hope to bring to the table. They had pain to bring to the table. They had food to bring to the table. They had encouragement to bring to the table. What did it look like when a homeless person would stand up and give encouragement to somebody who had everything material? look like for a Miss Patricia who struggled with mental illness who when you went to her trailer it was packed out because she was a hoarder <clears throat> and every Sunday she would say all I'm coming here for I just want to hug and then she would stand at the end of the street and go back. And that's all that she needed. She wanted to be seen. She wanted to be known. She wanted to understand that somebody saw her even in her chaos. Order was being brought out of chaos. Why? Because you're recognizing that the individual in front of you has dignity and worth, and that you're making that free choice to interact with them. Out of that, so there's Jewish theologian, Mark Buber, and he wrote this book called I Vow. Great book I recommend to you. Not that long. Good book, though. If you want to deal with conflict, great book. Great application to it. If you want to deal with simply understanding someone who is different than you, what does it look like? What's your name? Javian. Javian? Javian. I don't know where you're from. It really don't matter. Right? But I see you, and you see me. And how Mark Boomer describes it is, is this. Is that when me and Javian sit down with one another and have conversation with one another, we are entering into this, if you will, experience, this dynamic. And I am sympathizing at this very moment with your experience as you tell me who you are, what you believe, where you come from, how you view life. And then it reverses, and he listens to who I am, where I come from, what I believe, how I view life. You don't have to agree with it. You don't even have to accept it. But the fact that I am listening to you, and you are listening to me. Mark Buber describes it as this way, is that there becomes a point where we enter into this experience this transcendent I-thou relationship. And that's what we seek to apply at the City of Hope Outreach, is that when I am sitting down with you, regardless of your background, regardless of your experience, 
that we enter into this dynamic. And so I'm very intentional. Even when I am hiring somebody, I'm listening to, hmm, what would they look like being in the same room with somebody who has completely different views than they do? In terms of politics, in terms of gender relationships, in terms of economics. Because I want that dynamic to happen. I want individuals to look beyond all of this, if you will, bull crap that divides us and has us be at conflict and at odds with one another. Can you look beyond that and see the dignity and worth of the individual? Can you look beyond that and see another image bearer of God? And then from there, how will it shape your relationships together? Why is this important? So we focus on three major things, education, housing, and community development. Housing, let me say this way, education, most people don't have an issue with. Let's help kids, let's get them educated, let's learn their ABCs, one, two, three, let's see them blossom and go to school, so on and so forth. Where we run into the difficulty is housing. Now let me ask you a question. Now, I'm going to throw this back out. I want y'all to throw some things back out. All right? Why is it so difficult to get different types of people to live in proximity to one another? Why do y'all think that is? It's described as not in my backyard. Don't want those people next to me. Yes? Uh, it's, Tell me your name first. Uh, Finn. Nice to meet you. Um, because we have an instinctual fear of the unknown. Okay. Somebody else. Ignorant of what? Give me a little bit. Of, I'm just saying, like, people take first impressions off of things that they hear, but they've never met people. And so they just fear uh, stereotypes, I guess. Okay. Somebody else. Um, people find comfortability in what they believe in, so they try to surround themselves by those type of people. So whenever they meet people that have different views, it kind of pushes them away. Okay. Just too concerned with themselves, they have to deal with other people. Okay. Anyone else? It's all they know. It's all they know. All right. So those things, some of those things mentioned, can you sympathize? Don't you want to be comfortable? Right? Don't you want to be around stability and normalcy and things that you know? There's some merit to that, correct? Right? Let's, I mean, let's be honest, right? But then to use that as a reason or even as a motivation to stand as a roadblock to those who are in need of a basic experience, such as housing, right? That's where it becomes an issue. So how does 
my understanding of human origins, us being made in the image and likeness of God, impact our relationship with interacting with elected officials. Because here's the other reality. If I want to get a house built for a homeless family, right? And if I wanted to stick it in the middle of downtown, do you know who I have to go talk to? So, a little education here. Y'all ready? All right? So you got to go to this thing called the Planning Commission, right? And you got to pay them some money, right? And you got to lay out your plan, right? I want to do this. I want to build this. It's going to be this big. It's going to have all this, blah, 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 right? If it passes, right? And if nobody shows up with their ignorance or their overwhelming comfortability, right? And it passes, then it goes to the city council, right? And then they have to vote on it, right? Now, again, somebody else is given the opportunity, right? To exercise their uncomfortability, I don't know, that kind of stuff. Ignorance. It may or may not pass. Right? Now, more than likely, you're not going to have a problem building three-bedroom, two-bath houses for individuals who make a certain income level, right? Who got jobs, so on and so forth. <coughs> but as soon as you mention, you know what? What's your name? Adia. Adia? Mm -hmm. Adia. As soon as I say, I want to build some houses for some homeless people who struggle with drugs, who have broken families, so on and so forth. Everybody they start losing their lunch. I'm just gonna be for real. Right? Right? So the same individuals, sir, right? They're you know standing out on the street corners and we're telling them, why don't they just go get jobs? Right? Why can't they just go get resources? Right? They just so lazy. Gosh dang it. Right? As you stand out in the sign and through all types of weather, that does take some work. You do know that, right? Have you ever talked to one of those people before? Hmm? All right. If you haven't, and when you feel comfortable, just roll down your window and ask them their name. How are they doing? Are they okay? Sometimes, that's all they need. To be what? Seen. That could get somebody through the day. So with housing, and to address an issue like that, it requires us time to time to go and stand face to face with elected leaders and remind them that those individuals who have no place to live, those 600 some odd kids in Faulkner County that are homeless, 600. They should have a place to stay just like everybody else. And so just like you want to pass legislation to build roundabouts and build new performative things so that y'all can go and have good times and listen to concerts and things like that, right? We should also hold them accountable and say, the other individuals who lack housing, who lack food, who lack an opportunity to be employed and to flourish as human beings 
you should approve this as well because it's equally the right thing to do. So my understanding of our human origins as being those who have been made in the image and likeness of God, who have the capacity to freely act on behalf of the self, but also on the behalf of other people, it reaches out to speaking to elected officials. I'm looking at your, uh, your little sticker on your computer right there. Right? Love is stronger than hate. Right? So it has to be tested. Love has to be tested. And the only way it can be tested is that you be put into an experience, right, in which there is difficulty. Are you willing to take your understanding about your own human origin and apply it to the life of others? And when it's difficult, are you willing to go further for the sake of love? For the sake of that person's dignity and worth? And for the sake of understanding who you are as a human being? I did not understand how fundamentally I believed the dignity and worth of human beings until I stood in front of people who were willing to push back on me. And then at that moment, not only did I have to remember the people that I were advocating for were made in the image and likeness of God, but guess what? I also had to remember that the people who were objecting to me were made in the image and likeness of God. So how does your understanding of your own human origins, how does that impact your relationship, not only with people that you agree with and that you have affiliation with in terms of values and beliefs, but what about those individuals who are different than you in terms of your values and beliefs? Are they human beings? Are they? Because soon as we forget that someone is a human being, we have depersonalized. As soon as we depersonalize, they become simply objects that can be discarded. Or we can come up with a justification as to why, oh, you know what? Let me tell you something. You fascist, communist type, you need to be put away. I've depersonalized you. You see what just happened there? No, you're an image bearer of God, and I have to love you in spite of the disagreement I have with you. I have to love you in spite of the fact that you have no place to live. I have to love you in spite of 
You're seeking a fix every day. Will your understanding of your human origins take you to see that other individual as a human being? That's hard. Just to be honest, it's hard. Because many days, especially with politicians, right? Sir? I look at them junkies, I'd be like, y'all. <laughs> I'm just confessing. I'm a, so, my Christian journey ended up with me, I'm a Catholic, right? So, confession. And as there's times, I'd be like, these junkies here. God can have grace for me. I don't know about these junkies over here. That's how I be thinking. I'm just honest. Don't precatory prayers that David got sometimes. Don't feel like something. Like, God smash them. Right? And I go, God's grace. Right? So as I close, I'm going to leave time for y'all to ask questions. I've been thinking lately. We're like in this period. I was telling my wife where, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, how we treat one another, how we talk to one another, our unwillingness to, to listen to one another. We want to, seems like there is this growing desire to just alienate. And look at somebody as truly another, and not as my brother or as my sister. I'm not concerned. And it concerns me because I, I think we have forgotten our common tie together. Something ties us all together. And it's recovering what that is. Now, one may not hold to a Christian understanding of that, or Jewish or Muslim understanding, or any of the other religions. But there has to be something that ties us together so that we can better relate to one another and not destroy one another either physically destroy, emotionally, psychologically destroy. We have to remind ourselves that I'm related to this individual. And so is my hope. This is how I have to end. Hey, Robert, I, I'm so thankful you sent me this email uh, of coming here. Because I remember coming here years ago. Um, uh, because it's a helpful reminder that um, all of us have something to offer. All of us have struggles and faults. But then as I look across this classroom right here, 
and I think about the class at the classes I teach down at Philander, there's similar questions I hear, similar concerns, similar issues. Even though people look different, come from different locations and stuff, uh, I'm reminded that we do have a, a common origin. And we can wrestle with what that is. But if we can wrestle with that together in love, in hope, I believe better things. Hey, if you found something of value, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Find us on Facebook at Dr. Philip Fletcher. Find us on Twitter at Phil Fletcher. And as always, visit us on the website, philipfletcher.org.